It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. This episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast is brought to you by the MLB app. Yankees baseball is always live with the MLB app. Follow the action with game tracking and video highlights along with up-to-the-moment stats, standings, breaking news, and more. Download the MLB app today. It's your number one app for Yankees baseball. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Yankees Magazine podcast. I'm John Schwartz. I'm the deputy editor for Yankees Magazine, but I'm definitely secondary today because joining me on the phone, we have famed baseball writer, sports writer, football writer, whatever you want to call him at this point, many-time award winner, Joe Pisnanski. Joe, how you doing? I am doing great. How are you, John? I am excellent. Joe, thanks for joining us. I Look, you've gotten to do a lot of great things in your life. You've gotten to cover a lot of events. I know that coming on the official New York Yankees, Yankees Magazine podcast. <laughs> I know it's number one, so I, I just, you're welcome is all I can say. It, it, is, it is truly a highlight of my life to be uh, on, on a podcast dedicated to the New York Yankees. That is, uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to be here. Well, thanks for joining us. Obviously, you have a book that's about to come out on September 28th. It's the Baseball 100. It is, I think it's, fair to say it is everybody's dream project in a sense. You have found a way to monetize every single bar conversation that anyone has ever (laughs) had about sports. And and I mean that sincerely. It is your list of the 100 best baseball players in history. And as simple as that sounds, it's just this remarkable and remarkably fun project that a lot of us followed along with when it was going on in The Athletic. But to see it in book form, in a way that I have to say, honestly, if this thing falls, I think it registers on the Richter scale. But to see it in book form, it's just just such a fun project. And uh, congratulations on it. Thank you. Yeah, no, I mean, it is, it is really, you know, it's been a journey, but it's, it's super duper exciting. It's, it's one of the most fun and intense things I've ever worked on because of, you know, of course, as you know, I wrote it in, in a hundred days, a hundred, hundred players, a hundred days. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, and then, and then trying to turn that into a book, which was, which was a whole other challenge and, and, uh, exciting in its own way. I mean, it's, it's really, really cool because it, it, to me, it works uh, on multiple levels as a fun project. I mean, for me, it's about telling the stories of these 100 players. That's really was the focus for me all the time, telling the story of baseball through these 100 players. And I love doing that. And and there are so many amazing, fun people in this book. It's It's so great. And then, of course, there's the rankings, which is what everybody wants to talk about and everybody wants to argue about. And, and that's so fun, too. So it, it is... You know, I don't I don't know exactly how I caught lightning in a bottle on this thing, but, uh, you know, it's certainly not the first person to to count down the greatest players. But I, I think I was able to do it in a way that makes it really fun. And you were. And there's so many things I want to get into. Um, look, I'm sure you're going to you've already been asked a lot of these questions. You're going to get asked a lot of these questions if you haven't already. But I, I definitely want to get into the nuts and bolts, if you will. And, and I should be clear, obviously, if you're not familiar, the reason we are 
having this conversation besides for the fact that it's a great book is that in our September issue of Yankees magazine, we excerpted number 99, Mike Mussina. And the joy I found, the reason I wanted Mike Mussina, like it would be very easy to say, I want Babe Ruth. But you wrote about Mike Mussina in a way that was barely about baseball and was more like a speech that someone would give about a bar mitzvah boy, um, you know, <laughs> as they were honoring him. You literally wrote about Mike Mussina being a mensch. And yeah. I'm just curious, you could have approached all this in so many different ways, but it felt like, I don't want to say baseball was secondary because it wasn't. This is a baseball book, no doubt. But the human interest in these 100 profiles you wrote, it's just overwhelming as a reader. I can't even imagine as a writer. It was so fun. You know, I would I would come on 99, Mike Mussina, or 95, Tony Gwynn, or, or Carlton Fisk, or Phil Negro, or whoever the numbers were, especially at the top. And there were players that have obviously been written about a lot. And it's like, how am I going to write about them in, in a different way? How am I going to write about them in the way that I think they should be remembered. What, what was their contribution to the game? What was their contribution as people? And and then you see like these stories just unveil themselves, you know? And to me, Mucina was a perfect example of it. And in many ways was one of the first people uh, that I wrote about who, who sort of gave me a sense of what this project could be. You know, I mean, Mike Mucina, there are a lot of people who wouldn't think, see Mike Mucina being on the 100 at all, right? There are a lot of people who who were surprised when he went into the Hall of Fame. I mean, there, there are people who just have underrated and underappreciated, in my view, Mike Mucina for many, many years. But then you look at his career and you look at the way he went about his business and how close he came to so many legendary achievements and how how it affected the way people viewed him. And, it, and it's like, wow, this is this is a real human story about this incredibly smart guy, Stanford guy, who always had just sort of did things the right way and went about his, his business in, in, in baseball and didn't let it bother. You know, I mean, I just don't think you could be more perfect than Mike Mussina finally winning 20 games and then retiring. Like that's, that's who Mike Mussina was. It's like, it didn't matter to him. Like that wasn't the driving force and, and finding out about, you know, how different Mike Mussina is in his hometown when he's around people that he knows versus, you know, he was, he was often considered difficult uh, at the major league level because he just, he just didn't buy into all of the stuff that you kind of have to buy into if you want to become a superstar. And I just, I fell in love with that story. And, and that was the one that made me think, okay, you know what? Each of these essays has to bring out something about the player that even their biggest fan will, maybe they know it, but this will really enhance the way they view their, their, the player. And I, I haven't done a full count here. You know, th- there's a hundred players, obviously. I, again, this is, I'm guessing 75 to 80 are hall of famers. Obviously there are current players who aren't there. There are other players who, for whatever reason, aren't in there, but what are you going to unveil at this point about Lou Gehrig? Like, what are right. you going to say that's new about Babe Ruth? What are you going to say that's new about Willie Mays, whatever? But the way I see what you're doing here is you're contextualizing all sports when you do it. I, I feel like whether you're writing about the Big Red Machine or you're writing about, you know, Joe Paterno, which obviously, I mean, that that one kind of that was exploded in the middle yeah, of you, of you writing it. But, you know, that's what this book felt like to me. This book felt like just this is let me, let me give you the context on these 100 guys who if you're reading this book, you know about these 100 guys, but let's contextualize them a little bit. I always say that when I, in my mind, when I'm writing, I, I have sort of a perfect reader, like a reader that I'm writing for. And, and you know, in this case, I really had multiple readers that I was writing for. I wanted to write for the super duper intense baseball fan who is going to be 
outraged because Sandy Koufax is rated too low, right? I mean, just the the, the person who's going to have unbelievably strong opinions and see if if they care as much about the ranking when they read about the player. You know, I mean, to me, the essay was what told the story about the player, not the ranking, right? But then there was there were like people who are like, I used to be a baseball fan, but I'm not really anymore. And I don't really follow it that closely. And I thought about those people. And and to me, it's like if you could read one story about Sandy Koufax or Willie Mays or Babe Ruth or Lou Gehrig, I wanted this to be a story that you'd be like, okay, I, you know what? I think I know this person. And, and so, you know, you're working multiple fronts when you, when you write a book like this and, and you know that there are going to be plenty of people that are just going to be, they're going to see the ranking and that's it. I mean, they, you know, that's all they want and that's fine too. I mean, the rankings are very, they're, they're not, as you, maybe we'll get into, they're not the usual rankings of players, right? There, there are a lot of players in here who I did not rank so much as I connected them to a number that I feel like is sort of, you know, representative of who they were and you know, who they are. And, and so I wanted this thing to, to really have a big, a big texture. And so you're talking about contextualizing. It's 100% what I was trying to do. So you're saying it's not coincidence that Jackie Robinson is number 42, <laughs> that Tom Seaver is 41, that Greg Maddox is 31, Mike Trout 27, <laughs> Ricky Henderson 24. Yeah, you're, saying, you're, you're saying that w- that wasn't an accident. <laughs> that was not an accident. It was also not an accident that Joe DiMaggio is 56, which I know will have uh, sure. special meaning to to people listening to this, uh, who they will either love it. These are the two reactions I've gotten. To DiMaggio. They love it because they're like, okay, that's yes, of course. He's 56. That's what Joe DiMaggio is. Or be so outraged that he's ranked that low that they can't even speak. They're so mad. So I've gotten both reactions and that's good. That's what I should get. It's exactly what I should get. When you look at the top five and we'll get to the Yankees parts of this soon, but just to, to count this down here, number five, Oscar Charleston. So, so fun to have him number five. I love that essay. Four, Hank Aaron. Three, Barry Bonds, two Babe Ruth, one Willie Mays. How much did you play around there, go back and forth, as opposed to just at some point, is it just saying, whatever, this is the order I want to do this in, and I don't care what anyone says? Well, I spent a lot of time on it. I mean, I, I spent a lot of time on the whole top 10. I mean, I, I mean, I spent a lot of time on the whole rankings in general, and, and you know, hopefully that comes across. But I, yeah, I wanted the top five to represent, again, not so look they can, you could rank the top 5 or the top 10 in pretty much any order and you wouldn't be wrong you could make an argument for Ted Williams at number 1 i mean it, you know you could make an argument for Ty Cobb at number 1 you could make an argument for Walter Johnson at number 1 i mean there's lots of ways that you could argue this if that's the way you wanted to go i wanted it to represent how i view the history of baseball and how, how i view the game i wanted it to represent that and i could have put oscar charleston higher certainly there are those that say oscar charleston was the greatest player ever i could have put him number 1 and that would have been a different kind of statement, right? That would have been a, a very different statement. But I felt five was the right place for him. And I felt four was the right place for 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 Henry Aaron. And and the Barry Bonds was, was number three. And that was a big one, right? Trying to figure out who you put ahead. And I can tell you that uh, it was, in fact, a year ago, almost exactly today, that um, – I got a call. I was sitting at home with with my family eating dinner and I got a call from Milwaukee and I wasn't going to answer it. My wife's like, yeah, you ought to answer it. And it was Bud Selig. And uh, Bud was calling to one, thank me uh, for for the Henry Aaron uh, essay. He's obviously very, very close, was very close with Mr. Aaron. 
but two, to call me a crazy person for putting Barry Bonds ahead of him. And, you know, I get that. I get that. And, and the easy thing for me to do there is say, yeah, let's put Hank Aaron higher. I mean, who's going to argue? I mean, there'll be a few Barry Bonds fans who would argue and, and, but most people would be like, yeah, I don't want, I don't want Barry Bonds ahead of Hank Aaron, but in my mind, generally, if I look at their careers and I look at them as players, even with the steroids and even with everything else that, that went on, I just don't think we appreciate just how great Barry Bonds was. So so I thought very, very hard. Same thing with Babe Ruth and, and Willie Mays at two and one. The easy thing to do is put Babe Ruth number one. It's where everybody puts him. You could certainly make the totally the argument for that. But my feeling was that when I look at who was the best at every element of the game, and again, you throw in the, Barry, the Babe Ruth pitching, but that's a whole other thing. Uh, as I write about in the essay, to me, the essence of baseball is, is Willie Mays. And so it's it's there to be argued about. And, it's, and, and I think it's a lot of fun to argue about it. For sure. And just to reset here, we're talking to Joe Poznanski, the author of the upcoming The Baseball 100. And you can uh, subscribe to a Substack, of course, at JoePoznanski.com. I, I recommend that you do it. It's uh, terrific, obviously. So one thing that I love about this book is that it's the Baseball 100, and it's not the Major League Baseball 100. And obviously, part of that is getting Sadaharu Owen there, which is tremendous. But Look, I, I, I think it's pretty clear there are few greater apostles for the Negro Leagues, Joe, than you have been in your career. Um, and everyone who's you know read your stuff over the years from when you were in Kansas City and certainly since then, anyone who has you know taken your instruction to go visit the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, which is one of the greatest facilities on the planet, basically. Yes. And I'm grateful to the fact that you turned me on to that, to, to be able to get all those players in there too and to make sure you know, from Oscar Charleston on down, that you were explaining the totality of baseball in a sense and not just Major League Baseball. How crucial was that to you from the beginning? Utterly crucial. Utterly crucial. It's it's, it's what made the book. And I have to say, I, I did it a couple different ways. The, you know, uh, people who have followed me know that I've started the Baseball 100 before. I had I, I started it back in the early 2010s and and got, you know, reasonably far but it just overwhelmed me. It was too much. And then I started it again. And the second time I started it, I decided I was going to split the, the, the Negro Leagues players out. It was mainly so I could highlight them in a different way. I was going to do an entire list of the greatest non-major league players. And I, and I was going to call it the shadow ball uh, series. And it was going to be this whole other thing. And it didn't work. It wasn't just that I was leaving them out. And, and my, my feeling was, and this is, I think the feeling, how do you compare them, right? How do you really compare them? And then I, I really came to the grips that I was that was a cop out uh, that you can compare them. And you know whether you get it right or not, I don't know, but you can. There there is enough out there. There are enough quotes out there. There's enough information out there. Even a few stats out there. You can see how great Buck Leonard was. You can see how great Bullet Rogan was. How great Cool Papa Bell was, and 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 certainly how great Josh Gibson and Satchel Paige and, and Oscar Charleston were. And once I realized, hey, I, I've got to, you know, I've got to put these guys with the players where they belong. I mean, I think I've got Satchel Paige number ten, maybe on the list. That's where he needs to be. He needs to be around Stan Musial and Mickey Mantle and 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 uh, and Walter Johnson and and Roger Clemens and and all of these great players. That's because he was that great, if if not greater. And it's and it, the shame of it is that. If anything, I'm going to rank them too low because if Satchel Page had played in the major leagues, we might have him as the greatest player who ever lived. 
unquestionably, everybody might have them that way. Same thing with Josh Gibson. So absolutely crucial to, to include these guys. And I loved that I was able to include uh, Sadaharo O oh in here. I actually thought of a couple of other Japanese players. I thought of a Cuban player uh, that I was going to put on the list. And they didn't, they just weren't quite there. You know, it was like if I, if this was a 150, there would have been more like that, you know, but with, with the 100 and the people I would have had to leave out, I already left out so many players that I wanted to have in there. So, so I couldn't quite do more, but to me, unquestionably said, Harrow was one of the hundred greatest baseball players of all time. And it was, it was what a joy to write that story. I love doing it. So anyone who has followed you over the years knows that you are among the most prolific baseball writers, among the most prolific writers. I think on the last episode of the podcast, uh, your friend Mike Schur pointed out that you write something like 800 to 900,000 <laughs> words a day, uh, yeah. Yeah. which is yet another reason to subscribe to Joe Bosnanski's uh, <laughs> Substack. I'm, I'm, I'm just curious, like when you were doing this, when you were putting this through, were you kind of doing it one a day or were you sitting with a lot of open folders and kind of going back to them? Um... I guess I'd have to say a little bit of both. I mean, I was kind of doing one a day. You know, I'd be, I would be like, okay, I'm doing my, you know, the the one on Wade, Wade Boggs or something. And I would spend a day researching Wade Boggs. And then I'd spend a day writing Wade Boggs. And then I'd spend a day just finishing it up, right? Just follow. So I would literally, I would, I would be, you know, doing my Wade Boggs research, newspaper research, finding any books or whatever, usually at night. And then the next day, I would spend the entire day writing the Wade Boggs feature. Uh, and then the next day, I would, I would, I would, after a night's sleep, I would really think it through and 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 look at it and say, okay, this needs to be fixed or whatever. And those things took different amounts of time. Obviously, I didn't have three days to do each of these essays. So the day that I was researching Wade Boggs, I was writing or finishing up the essay on whoever Carlton Fisk or. Sandy Koufax or Purple Island or whoever it was. And then I would be writing one. So I always was working on three or four at the same time, but never in the same stage. Like one of them I was finishing up, one of them I was researching, and one of them I was writing. So so it was, I have to tell you, John, it was my entire life for, um, you know, 100 days, three months. Four. It, it was a little longer because of COVID came and, and we've got to stretch it out a little bit. So it wasn't much longer, but it was a little longer. But that was literally my life. 24 hours a day, I would I would fall asleep researching uh, somebody. Then I would wake up super early the next morning and start writing that piece. And and uh, you know, my wife will tell you that uh, that during that time I wasn't uh, particularly uh, useful in in any other capacity. But it's but, good to blame. Uh, the, it's good to blame the book for that, right? It, it that's was what just I did. Of- exactly right. Exactly right. And, and <laughs> she bought it. You know, all the the whole family bought that I was actually too busy to do anything else. But it was, I loved it. It was like being in a in a baseball haze. You know, I mean, it was just I was never thinking really about almost anything else other than baseball for that period of time. And of course, I should point out you're doing this now with football. Uh, I think football is probably so much harder in the sense that there's a lot more anonymity in football. There's a lot more, you can be the greatest right guard of all time. And, right. you know, <laughs> what, what, what do you say that you did other than prevent anything from happening? I, I, I imagine that's a lot harder and different, but I guess that gets back into what we were saying is you're telling the human stories, not just the number of pancakes or whatever. Yeah, but you're hundred percent right. It's a completely different challenge. I mean, it really is on, on about, 25 different levels. It's a different challenge. And, and 
it's going to be received differently too. I mean, the baseball is used to these kinds of lists and football. It's a little bit different. How do you really compare Tom Brady with uh, Anthony Munoz? You know, it just doesn't, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't make as much sense in football, but I think there's a way to do it in football. I will tell you, I am not doing it at the same pace that I did the baseball in hundred. I am. It's going to be a pretty fast pace, but it's nothing like what the baseball 100 is. I'm going to do it over the entire season. So it's, you know, it's, 200 days or 150, 170 days, whatever it is. And uh, so that's going to be a little bit different and it's fun. It's fun, but it's fun in a very different way than, than baseball was. And that's, and that's, if it was a repeat of baseball, I wouldn't be, I don't think I would do it. You know I mean? The baseball thing to me is so special and so unique. It's not unique. It's so interesting because I always think of it as a very unique project, but counting down the hundred greatest baseball players is not unique. I mean, like, like that's been done. Lots of people have had top hundred lists and whatever doing it the way I did it, I think is, I think it's really, you know, special and fun. And and I think people are going to like it a lot. I mean, look, I mean, one of the benefits of this book is, a lot of people have already told you they like this because they followed along as you did it. I imagine right. that's very, you know, there, there's a baseline, I guess, of appreciation, which is it's why crazy. this is now in book form. It's crazy. I went to uh, the uh, Field of Dreams game in uh, Dyersville uh, last month, which was an unbelievable blast. And I had a copy of the Baseball 100 with me that I was going to give out a few copies while I was there. And I had a copy with me and the guy sitting next to me, just I sit down and the guy sitting next to me says, I can tell you everything you need to know about that book. And I said, I'm sorry. And he goes, I can tell you literally every single thing. Quiz me. I can tell you literally every single thing about that book. And I said, you can. And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, well, here, I want you to have it. He's like, no, no, I've, I've already read it all. I'm like, no, I wrote it. <laughs> I'm giving you the book before it comes out. And he was like blown away. And no, like, but he literally in his mind, he thought, that it had become a book, that I had read it, that I was bringing it with me, and he wanted me to quiz him about the book before it ever even came out. So that's been a lot of fun, too. So let me quiz you. And, and, and if I get this wrong, it's because I did my best here. How many Yankees do you think are in your top 100? I should have looked this up. I One of the things that my publicity... Uh, people have told me is like, you're going to have to like prepare some, like if you go into Boston, you have to know how many people are Red Sox. I haven't it's, done it's that. It's not enough uh, to write the 400,000 words. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm going to remember like each one, like I don't even remember where anybody was ranked much less than anything else. Um, I'm going to guess 11. So obviously let me just be clear when I say this, you know, there's levels of Yankees. Of course. Yes. I meant just people who have played on the Yankees at some point. But, so, I mean, but you know, Gaylor Perry, you might not, you know, think right. of right off the bat, but he's there. 19. Wow. That's high. Including 199.98. You start right off with Ichiro, Mucina, and Beltran. It comes in pretty hot with Yankees. Well, but there you go. But that's a perfect way, reason I didn't know that is because. I don't think of Ichiro as a Yankee, and I don't think of Beltran as a Yankee, right? Why would you? But that's that tells you the Yankees are not only have had, you know, uh, many of the greatest players who ever played the game, they also have picked up many of the greatest players who ever played the game at the end of their careers or at some point in the uh, Steinbrenner 80s or something like that. So, yeah, like Wade Boggs is a Yankee, but is he a Yankee even really? I mean, I guess I guess he's more than than Ishiro for sure. You know, Randy, Randy Johnson, Randy you know, Johnson, I mean. the Yankee. No, I like that. 19 Yankees. Wow. 19 Yankees. 
and, and I think for me, the biggest surprise, other than you know you having any Yankees at all, um, I, I, <laughs> Carlos Beltran '98. For people yeah. who have been reading Joe Pisnanski for a long time, <laughs> you might, there might have been a time when you would have thought, you know, 12. But Carlos Buffer, yeah. 98. <laughs> but, you know, hey, you know, I appreciate your uh, integrity there. Integrity, exactly. I mean, like, there were, there were a couple of favorites of mine, like Dwayne Kuyper, that aren't even on the list, which is crazy. Um, Beltran, what a great player. But one of the things that I really found, and this is very, very true of uh, some great Yankees, there are very, very few players who could do everything. Uh, in the history of the game. I mean, a lot of the players on this list are on this list because they could do one or two things exceptionally well. They were Reggie, right? They could hit, they, they, they hit bombs, right? That was, and that's good enough to get you on to be one of the hundred greatest players of all time. But there are very, very few DiMaggio's and mantles and Beltrans and walkers. And I mean, and I know that people hearing all those names together would be like, come on, they, those, those guys are nothing alike, but I'm talking about those players who really, you could call five to a players that did that could run, that could throw, that could hit, that could hit with power and could field. Um, it's a pretty small list of players. And, and that was something I think we know that, but I think it's, it's less than you think. And I think one of the interesting things about that is, and I'm not trying to give you an assignment here or give you more work, but I imagine if you were to revisit this list in seven to 10 years, I mean, the funny thing to say is, could Shohei Otani be in the top five? I mean, yeah. like, because if he continues this, this isn't a guy who's one of the elite players in baseball history. This is the greatest package in baseball history. Right. It's completely unique. Like this is this is the truly the guy who pitch and hit, you know, at the same time. And and it's it's but I mean, there are a lot of guys. I mean, I, I do think about, OK, well, you know, how is this going to age? I mean, there are players on this list that are going to go up. Right. I mean, Trout's going to go up and 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 uh, Scherzer's going to go up, I think. And, and uh, you know, uh, Kershaw's going to find up. his way on eventually. Well, but that's the thing. Now, <laughs> then you got a bunch of guys like Juan Soto and and uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. And even now we're seeing how great Vladdy Jr. is at hitting uh, Acuna. I mean, there's Mookie. There are just so many players that are great now that I think in three years, four years, five years, could very well be on this list and by the end could be very high on the list. So that that's just a little pitch on how good baseball is right now. So I have a last question for you about this, and then we're going to turn the page to one different topic. But backstory here, I remember a couple of years ago being in a bar with a friend, and I don't know what started it other than just typical nonsense, but we literally, I mean, you want to talk literal back of the napkin type of thing. We took a napkin and created our ranked list. And I'm actually, you know, that's not true. It wasn't ranked in the end. We created our list of the 100 best Bruce Springsteen songs. Excellent. And terrorized people on the jukebox the entire night, whatever. <laughs> um, but one of the things that stands out to me about that is when I now hear these songs, I hear not just my feelings about the song, but I hear his feelings about the song. And, and those kind of have become one from having this experience. So I'm curious, as you do this 100 list, the book is The Baseball 100 by Joe Pisnanski. How much do you feel like you gained whether from direct conversations about doing this in the moment or a lifetime of these conversations in terms of the stories you chose to tell and the way you chose to rank these people? Oh, I think it's all of it. You know, I mean, it's interesting. I was actually having this conversation with the, with the publisher of, of this book. It's a, it's, it's a different kind of book than anything I've ever written. And not just because it's a list and it's it's this, this countdown or whatever. All of my books, this is my sixth book, and all of my books, I was sort of a passive 
in the background narrator, you know, I mean, I'm in there and certainly in Soul of Baseball, I'm in there in my Houdini book. I mean, you can find me in there, but I'm pretty much in the background. I'm telling other people's stories in this book. I'm telling other people's stories, but I'm very much in there. Everything is a personal choice. It is it is truly you know, for whatever it's worth, it's Joe Posnanski's Baseball 100 and I, how I ranked them, the stories I told. So all of it was, you know, that would be the first thing I would think of. I'd be like, OK, who's number who's next on the list? OK, it's Greg Maddox. Well, what's the first thing I think of when I think of Greg Maddox? Right. And it would be think of my stories that I've had with, you know, my own experiences with Greg Maddox, things people have told me about Greg Maddox, um, my interviews with Greg Maddox, whatever they are, like a lot of these players you know, they were gone before I ever saw them play, but I still had some connection to them, some story I'd heard, some story I'd read, uh, some story I had done or whatever. So that is the starting point for all of these. Uh, it is definitely, it is definitely exactly what you're saying. I mean, it is, it is me, you know, in a bar with a friend saying, you know, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm about to write something about Pedro Martinez and them saying, Oh, do you remember when Pedro did blah, 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 right? And that, that is what the essence of this book is, I hope. That, that's how I read it. And it's wonderful, Joe. Uh, I mean, the project was wonderful. The book is wonderful. It is, honestly, if any part of the foundation of your house breaks, you can just slip this right in there and it'll hold <laughs> the whole thing up. So that's exactly right. And, and it should be said that this book, you, will, that you might get this book and you might go, I hate it. I mean, I'm not saying you're going to love it. I, I hope you do. But you will not say you got ripped off because no. this book is <laughs> gigantic. Okay, it is it is a three pound brick, and uh, and it can be used for many different things. So I hope uh, I hope people will if they if this if is you my next wanna, TV stand right here. So exactly this is right. <laughs> exactly. If you don't want to read it and you've got a light bulb that needs to be fixed, just put that down on the ground, stand on it. No problem. It's 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 there for you. Well, uh, Joe, we're going to take a quick break. I hope you'll stick around for uh, just a couple minutes just to talk about number 79 on your list, uh, the new, one of the newest Hall of Famers, Derek Jeter. So we'll be right back. Hi, this is Aaron Judge. You're listening to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. This episode is also brought to you by MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market regular season game live or on demand with MLB.tv. Your subscription also includes the MLB app Premium, allowing you to stream live baseball with your favorite supported devices. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.tv for details. Welcome back to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. We are still here with Joe Pisniewski, author of the upcoming The Baseball 100. And as I said, number 79 on this list, Derek Jeter. Joe, obviously, you know, Derek Jeter is one of those transcendent players. He is one of those guys who, you know, you pick up a book like this and you knew he was going to be in there. You, you were very curious as you started the project, what number, you know, what, what do you think when you, when you think of the top 100 players of all time, you know, how did you get Jeter into that 79 hole? And what, what were the things that you were looking to do when you started with Jeter back last year? Well, Jeter was always going to be one of the most challenging players to put on this list because he was, I, there were, and I had a name for it. I can't remember what I called them. There were certain players that I had a nickname for because I knew wherever I ranked them, it was going to be bad for everybody. 
I was either going to rank. There was no way anybody was going to look at the ranking and go, yeah, that's perfect. They were always going to be that's way too high or that's way too low. There was like there were, you know, there's just a handful of players that are like that. And Jeter is like that. I knew wherever I ranked him, there would be people that be like, that guy doesn't belong on this list or that guy should be in the top 10. I mean, there was like that was that, that's that's the feeling. That's the strong feelings that people have about him. And deservedly so. I mean, he was that kind of player. He he instilled strong feelings. I mean, he was dominant in so many ways and on the most dominant team. So, so that's going to inspire love and, and uh, not so much love. So, uh, so I knew that. And, and so I did have a system, you know, that I built with my friend, Tom Tango, that we created as sort of a, a statistical system that took into account all of the things that I think are important and gave me a general list. And the, the numbers of these players are, way off this list. I mean, they're, they're bouncing all around. I move people up and down, but that was generally where I had Jeter statistically. That was, you know, pretty much where I put him. And that was me not taking into account some of the, the defensive numbers that really are very, very harsh. I kind of always have felt like those were too harsh and that he was kind of an underrated hitter. And, and I, I've always thought one of the most amazing things about Derek Jeter is as great as he was and as popular as he was, that he never won an MVP. Uh, it's, it's staggering to me. It's probably the most surprising player in baseball history to have never won an MVP. And he probably should have won too. Like he almost won it in 2006, I guess. And he almost won. He should have won it in 98. It's I, I, I still cannot quite understand how he did not win it in 98. But, you know, he was, he was Derek Jeter. There's nothing, there's not a whole lot more to be said. He was relentless. He played hard every game. He, he represented the best of baseball. Uh, he, he was the, you know, the, the ultimate leader and he was the ultimate leader in a way that was, I think you and I both know that sometimes you'll hear us like sports writers or announcers or analysts talk about a person's leadership. And we're kind of just guessing, you know, we're kind of like, oh, that person seems like a great leader or whatever. But Jeter was one of those guys who every teammate said the same thing. I mean, you would, you'd come to the Yankees and he would immediately, not only make you feel at home, but also explain to you what it is to be a Yankee. And I mean, it was real. It was very, very real with Derek. So, and, and really, by the way, awesome uh, to see him get inducted into the Hall of Fame. Not, you know, we obviously knew he was going to get there, but to see it finally happen, I, I just thought it was really a cool experience. I was thrilled to, that he got to do it with fans there. It would have been such yeah, a bummer to I have agree. him give a speech on Zoom somewhere. <laughs> you know, the, the thing with Jeter for me is, and again, this gets to what I think and what we discuss is the heart of your book is Jeter was statistically clearly a Hall of Famer. Sure. But there is so much more to Derek Jeter than what he did on the field. And and, and I'll, this is like a silly thing, and maybe I, I'm putting too much of my own life into this, but I'll always remember there were a couple times when we would be doing a photo shoot for something or we would be doing a project with something. And I mean, you know as well as I do, just no baseball player wants to do anything in the month of August right. or the month of September. I mean, they're exhausted. They're, you know, they're trying to save everything they have for the game. 50 million people ask them to do 50 million things. And I will tell you, he would walk out there to whatever you're doing kind of sullenly and maybe not saying much, whatever. And then the second that he got into view of the kids involved or whatever it was, you just saw like the absolute pro. And it's the same it's the same way that he gave that speech with no notes or anything like that, you know, when Yankee Stadium's closing. It's the same way he did all these things. It, it was just there are a lot of personality traits 
that makes someone a baseball superstar. It's not just athletic talent. It is the right. ability to control every bit of the moment and to rise above every single thing that might be weighing you down. And that was always what I thought Jeter did best. I mean, look, he also got 3,000 hits. He also did all these things. He won all these World Series championships. But he was just bigger than every moment, I felt. And it was part of the reason like you said it's just special to see him finally give that speech and as i said special to see him give it in front of people because that's where he belongs is in front of people in front of adoring crowds absolutely all of the things you said are true and look he was the consummate pro i mean and in in the best of ways you know i do think often about the joe dimaggio line about playing hard every day because there's a kid up there in the stand seeing him for the first time and, you know, of course, I didn't see DiMaggio play. I mean, DiMaggio was way before even my time. But that was Derek Jeter. That was yeah. truly Derek Jeter. There was just never a day that he was off. You know, it was never a day that he that he was just a little bit less than himself. He was present constantly. And that was on the field. It was in the, the, the locker room. Look, he never said anything all that interesting, but that was on purpose. I mean, he he was not going to create controversy. He was he was the perfect he was the captain. I mean, I I I totally buy into to all of that. And and you know, look, he 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 lived a personal life that somehow, some way, he was able to. If you're young and you're Derek Jeter and you're in New York, I mean, you should be on the back page of the Post like every week, right? And and uh, we know some players who have been like that, but just a pro, just a pro on the field and off the field, and and uh, you know, I just have a lot of respect for that. And, you know, it's one of the things that it kind of goes back to for me because, and it's going to sound like I'm knocking Jeter here, I'm not, but I thought there was nobody better at capitalizing on grudges in a sense. Jeter was so good. Obviously, I think there's a little bit too much some days of bulletin board material or taking umbrage or whatever, anything like that. But with Jeter, you always felt like he was was just on the right side of that. And he, he knew exactly how to get himself motivated with these things. And that's why I thought it was so funny or maybe even ridiculous. And God, it's you know, a year and a half now, more than that, at his press conference after being elected to the Hall of Fame, when someone asked him how he felt about that, you know, one writer, and he said, oh, that's the difference between you and me. I think about all the writers who did, not the ones who didn't. And in my head, I'm saying like, <laughs> no, you don't, Derek. Like, you, you spent your entire career thinking about that one person who was, you know, disrespecting, not disrespecting you, but, but you know, not believing you. And then, of course, in his speech, he admitted that. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course he did. And, and you know, of course it did. I mean, look, I'll tell you who he reminds me of in that way. He's Tom Brady. I mean, him and Tom Brady have the same mentality when it comes to that. And yes, they've got to blow things out of like Tom Brady is still mad. He was dragged into the sixth round. Who cares? Who, how could that possibly affect you in any way? But he's still mad. And you know, Jordan was like that too. I mean, looking for slights that could, that could drive you. But the thing is, I would say, and Brady's done a good job of this too, but I would say, Jeter was better at sort of really developing and pumping positive energy out of that stuff. You know yes. I mean? Like, like I think the negative energy is, is very powerful and, and nothing Michael Jordan liked more than, than, you know, having a, a player say anything so that he could just embarrass and humiliate that guy in the court. And that wasn't exactly the way Jeter went about it. Jeter Definitely, he knew what people were saying, and he used it as a force, but he used it as a force to sort of be the guy that he was, which was this kind of happy warrior on the on the field. And and uh, uh, like I say, there just wasn't a time that I saw Derek Jeter play. You know, they always used to say about DiMaggio that he never threw at the wrong base, and I don't think that's true. I'm sure at some <laughs> point Joe DiMaggio threw at the wrong base. We'll never know, but I think that's probably been. 
But we saw Derek Jeter a million times. And I'm not going to say he, you know, he did throw the wrong base. He did make mistakes. I'm not saying he ever made mistakes, but he never was off. You know, he was never like your boy. I just don't even recognize Derek Jeter today. I mean, he was, he was always the same and always driven. And it was, uh, it was a big part of his, uh, of his magic. And that's the thing. I mean, there are some baseball highlights. There are some baseball memories that kind of take on outsized importance, maybe. With a guy like Derek Jeter, and you think of like the flip play, like could one play more personify someone's greatness than that? And I mean, of course, are there people who say Derek Jeter's overrated? Are there people who say he's underrated? Whatever. You're right. And I know what you mean about where to put him. But like just this idea that this absurdly terrible throw that somehow <laughs> I'm going to get myself into the right position to make one of the most iconic plays in baseball history. Is it random? Is it maybe a little accidental? Is it maybe some good luck that he managed to get there or that Jeremy Giambi didn't slide? Like all these things can be true. And yet, if you were to say, if you were to try to describe, you know, Derek Jeter's greatness, isn't it kind of that play? Well, it's like that play has happened one time in, in baseball history, that exact version of that play. And it was Derek Jeter who did it. I mean, it's like if that exact same play had been made by Michael Young or, or uh, you know, Omar Vizquel, but it wasn't, you know, and, and look, part of it is they were in the playoffs because they're the Yankees and, and, you know, they were good. And some people saw it more. And, 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 and that's another thing that's really powerful about Jeter is that we watched him more than we watched any other player ever. Right. Because he was always there in October and, and, and it was, you know, all, all of it was televised and it was a completely different, you know, mindset from, you know, the days when the only time you were in October was the World Series or something like that. But like I say, it's it's Derek Jeter was the guy. Everybody said this when he played. He was the guy. The more you saw him, the more you appreciated him. And we got to see a lot of him. So we, I think we really got to appreciate him. Well, Joe, I will spare you the task of our doing a draft of the 19 members of the Yankees on your baseball 100 <laughs> list to try to figure it out. But I can't thank you enough for doing this. It's great talking to you. Thank you, obviously, for letting us uh, run that wonderful Lucina piece in our magazine. For everyone who has not seen it yet, by all means, pick up the September issue. But of course, also pick up the Baseball 100 by Joe Pisnanski on September 20th, because Joe, it is fantastic. Thank and you. And I wish you all the best with this. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. This was a lot of fun. And to everyone else, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast. If you're not already subscribed, I honestly can't figure out what you're waiting for. So please go to yankees.com slash podcast and subscribe or go to the podcast app of your choice. You can, of course, follow us on Twitter at Yanks Magazine. You can read our long form content at yankees.com slash magazine. And we want to know what you think. So email us at podcast at yankees.com. Thanks so much. Have a great day and go Yanks. Hi, this is Luke Voigt. If you like what you're hearing, why don't you rate and review us? And while you're at it, tell your friends to subscribe. Thanks so much, and go Yankees. The MLB Ballpark app will complete your next visit to Yankee Stadium. Buy and manage game tickets, redeem special check-in offers, access exclusive content, and much more. Download the MLB Ballpark app today.